Well, good evening. It's good to be with you all again. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors at Bridges Community Church in Alhambra. That's uh, the church plant, actually, of the way. And uh, last week at Bridges, we started uh, a series in the book of Psalms entitled Being Renewed. And so when Tim reached out this week, uh, needing someone to preach because he was sick, he said, hey, just preach on whatever you preach on at Bridges in the morning. And so I was like, well, what about Psalm 32? And he said, that is literally what I was going to preach on at the way. So um, I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, but it's, we, we chose to go through Psalms and entitled the, the series Being Renewed because it's really um, taking a look at what is really at the core of our relationship with God. What is most true about God? What is most true about us and how we interact with him? Um, what is true about the life of faith? How has he equipped us uh, to be renewed and to live this life of faith? Right, how do we grow in Jesus? And sort of at the heart of some of these questions uh, really goes back to if you were uh, if you heard the sermon last week in Psalm 1, which you didn't, pretend you did for a second, uh, there's this illustration of this tree that is planted by streams of water. And sort of the idea is that this tree never graduates and never gets strong enough or ripe enough where it needs to then move away from the stream. But it constantly has to be renewed kind of day by day by those streams. The life is water. And, uh, and for us as well, uh, we never need to stop being renewed as, as believers uh, in who calls himself the life, right? Jesus says, I am the life. And that's what we have to constantly go back to to be renewed for. And so no matter uh, where you're coming from tonight, uh, you and I are actually both desperate for the exact same thing. Whether you've been a Christian for 60 years or if you have yet to put your faith in Jesus, uh, every second of every day, we are in desperate need to be renewed by what we call the gospel, the good news that Jesus came and lived, died the death that we should have died because of our sin. But because of his great love for us, if our faith is in him, he has then removed that punishment that our sin rightly deserves, which is death. And he is at this moment right now renewing absolutely everything about your being, your mind. And he promises that one day he is going to come again and make absolutely everything new. Uh, but because um, of his great love for us, um, if our faith is in him, then he has removed that punishment, right? And so the gospel, it's not just how we were first moved from death to life, but it's actually how we grow. The gospel is everything we need for renewal in Jesus. And so Psalm 32 is this model of what it looks like for us to then respond for what it is that God has done for us, what he's doing, and what he will do for us in and through Jesus. And so let me read for us. Psalm 32, hear the word of the Lord. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, 
or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do all come with that same uh, desperate need tonight, and that is to encounter the living God. So we pray that uh, through the power of your Spirit, through your word, uh, you would grant us the ability to receive uh, this good news that we see in Psalm 32 of your incredible provision for us uh, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen. All right, so we've probably all been there before at one point. Maybe it's like Friday night, you're hanging out with a group of friends, and you decide we're going to stream a movie. And uh, of course, it is next to impossible to decide, at least quickly, on a movie that is going to appeal to everyone, right? And so this is how our family ended up a couple weeks ago watching one of Nicolas Cage's finest movies. Uh, We thought our three-year-old was not ready for Con Air yet, and so we decided to go with National Treasure. And I won't spoil it for you if you've been meaning uh, to get around to that over the last 20 years, but there's this one scene where Nick Cage is, is quoting the Declaration of Independence. And of course, this document you know, states that all of us, we have certain rights, right? Most famously, we have the right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, right? It's kind of like right, good luck with that pursuit of happiness, however you're going to try to pursue that. And it's this vague pursuit, right? whatever the pursuit of happiness might look like, that leads people to any number of strategies to try and figure out, okay, well, what does happiness look like? How do I go about this? What should I do? to try and find the happy and full and fulfilled life. That word that uh, the David uses here, blessed is he, uh, a really simple way to translate that, it's very close to the, the meaning, is happy, right? Happy is he who, and again, any number of worldviews, any number of religions that will promise you this is the way. This is what you have to do. This is what you have to not do. This is what you have to believe uh, to have a happy life. And the main point that David, the author of Psalm 32, is getting across, it's really the main idea of the Bible, right? That in order to be whole, to receive from God this blessed life where he no longer counts our iniquity against us, our sin has to be removed, right? God has to forgive us. And the only way to be forgiven is to repent and to put your faith in Jesus. And if you're exploring Christianity uh, this evening, this might be precisely what makes Christianity just like so hard for you to accept. Um, because you hear that exclusivity, that Jesus is the only way to God, Jesus is the only way to salvation, and you think, I mean, surely there's got to be another way, right? Surely there has got to be multiple ways for us to live these whole fulfilled lives of meaning. Like, why can't we just take some of the sayings that Jesus says that we like, like the command to love our neighbor, that's, that's really nice. Why can't we just skip over some of the harder commands that he gives us, like, pray for your enemies. But listen to Jesus' very first words that are recorded in the Gospel of Mark. Again, first words are just incredibly important in ancient literature. And for this time in Mark, they really frame everything that Jesus was about, everything that he came to do and accomplish during his time on earth. So Jesus opens up his public ministry with these words. He says, the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So repent. Put your faith in this good news that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. So let's unpack what Jesus says about repentance through how we see it modeled here in this psalm as we look at our need for repentance, why we avoid it, 
And finally, the cost of repentance. So first, our need for repentance. Uh, there is just an incredible interaction that Jesus has uh, with a bunch of really religious people called Pharisees and a woman who is described as a sinner in Luke chapter 7. And so the really religious people invite Jesus into one of their homes, but they don't really treat Jesus like any normal host would treat a guest. So they've heard about Jesus, they've heard he's doing these miracles, he's kind of like the hot ticket to get. And so they get Jesus into their house, and they're essentially trying to trick him, or at best, like show him off to their friends, that, hey, we had what it took to get this guy into our house. We had the clout, we had the job, we had the reputation, whatever it is. Um, because they think they have absolutely no need for what this Jesus has to offer. They have their own religion. They have their status. On the other hand, this sinful woman approaches Jesus out of a state of just incredible, desperate need. She knows that her sin is going to be exposed. People are going to be whispering about her. The Pharisees are going to despise this person. And yet, she recognizes Jesus as the only one who can heal her. So it's worth it for her to go and to sit at the feet of Jesus. And in response to her heart and her clear need of forgiveness, Jesus says that her sins, which are many, are forgiven because she loved much. And Jesus says to the Pharisees, the really religious people, hey, if you've only been forgiven a little bit, you are only going to love a very, very little bit. See, the Pharisees didn't think they needed forgiveness. They were confident in their education and in their status and in their law-keeping that all of that was really going to be enough for them. While this woman realized, I have a lot that needs to be forgiven. She comes to Jesus under the crushing weight of all the ways that she knows very clearly that she has sinned against God. And in response to her forgiveness, her, her repentance, Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Not just your faith has saved you, but also leave that crushing weight of your sin right here with me. I will take that and I will bear the weight of that. You go in peace. This is exactly what David experiences in Psalm 32. When I kept silent and didn't repent, my bones wasted away through groaning all day. But when I acknowledged my sin to you, you forgave me instantly. And this response, of course, enrages the super-religious people who don't in any way see their need to be forgiven because they've put in all the work to make themselves acceptable to God, keeping the hundreds of rules that they've come up with to try and justify themselves to God. It was crushing, and to see someone else forgiven so quickly, so simply, by grace alone, by faith and repentance, they are just incensed because they're trying to take care of that crushing weight of judgment, of sin, that sin deserves themselves through, you name it, their religious sacrifices, their rule-keeping. And so the first step uh, in, towards repentance is actually being able to see your sin and to see that you cannot deal with it on your own apart from the grace of Jesus, but you actually need to be forgiven by a perfect, sinless God. And so I would imagine... There's plenty of people in this room. I'm sure at one point or another, we've felt guilty. Right? But has, has guilt ever just absolutely eaten at you? Maybe you've had a similar experience to that of David, who when he didn't look honestly at his sin, honestly at his need to be forgiven, but he kept silent, and it was killing him. 
He was the opposite of happy when he had unconfessed sin, straining under the weight of his guilt. And the only relief that came was when in verse 5, he acknowledged his sin to God, when he stopped trying to cover it up, and he went to God with it. So first, he had to deal honestly with himself. He had to look, I have sin. And then he had to confess it to God. And that's the second step of repentance. So we have to deal honestly with what the Bible says about how all of us, in some way, have rejected God and his commandments. We've turned away from him, and we've really looked instead to ourselves. And the only way to be brought back into a relationship with him, to be adopted as his son or his daughter, what the Bible calls reconciliation. It requires our faith and repentance. We have to acknowledge our sin, repent of it, turn from it, and receive the forgiveness that Jesus offers free of charge through faith. But again, Jesus' first words in his public ministry, repent and believe this good news. That's that's what we must do to be brought back into a relationship with God. And so why do we avoid it? Even if you are a Christian, why are we so prone to either try and add to this free gift of grace like the Pharisees in Luke? Or why do we search for other ways to try and justify our relationship with Jesus? In verse 2, David acknowledges that blessed, happy, whole is the person in whose spirit there is no deceit. And that follows immediately the imagery. I'm glad Gabe used this in the confession of sin in verse 1 about his sin being covered. So that, that word for covering is the same word that Moses uses to describe what Adam and Eve did way back in the garden to hide their sin from God. So what did did they do? They took something, they made something with their own hand, they fashioned these coverings out of fig leaves and tried to hide their guilt and shame from God. And in our pursuit, whatever, again, whatever our pursuit is of happiness apart from God, we still have not looking for things. What can we get? What can we assemble? What can we create to try and hide, to try to cover, to try to be okay so that we don't need God's forgiveness? And in a great foreshadowing of how God would ultimately provide what it would take for Adam and Adam and Eve's sin to be covered, for your and my sin to be covered, God provided covering in the form of animal skins. And the only way to get those skins off the animals, it took blood, right? It took death for the brokenness uh, that happened because of sin to be covered. And there were great consequences, and even death, not just for Adam and Eve, right? But look at what happens to their community, to nature. When sin entered the world, animals are dying for this, right? Nature is fractured because of how they've tried to hide from God. And recognizing how David himself has been guilty of the exact same attempt to cover his sin, right? David has literal blood on his hands um, when he tried to cover his sin of stealing another man's wife. After seeing his sin and after confessing his sin to God, David models for us the third step in repentance, uh, which is godly sorrow. Verse 6, right after David has confessed his sin to God, he turns to prayer knowing that verse 10 that we should be sorrowful over our sin, how it wounds us, how it wounds others, how it wounds the heart of God. Godly sorrow is being honest with yourself and others about how, yes, sin damages and harms usually those closest to us. Godly godly sorrow is not wallowing in self-hate, but it is taking our need before God in faith, knowing that verse 7, God will receive you, he will preserve you, and he will deliver you. And that's probably what makes asking for forgiveness really scary, uh, is when we don't know how we're going to be received by the person that we've offended, especially when that person is God, maybe. To go to someone and admit you were wrong, admit I wounded you, 
That is to be anything but covered. That's to be exposed and to kind of put yourself at their mercy. But the way of the gospel, the good news, is that God, the person who we have most seriously offended uh, with our rejection of him, is that while we were still his enemies, the offended moved towards the offenders. And if we see our sin, we confess it, in godly sorrow we turn from it and look by faith to Jesus, he covers our sin. And the covering that Jesus offers to reconcile us to God, again, it took blood to make that covering. It took the offended moving towards the offenders at the cost of his own blood. And when that sinks in, when you receive the extent to which you have been loved, like the sinful woman in Luke, when you hear that the God of the universe put on flesh and gave up all the comfort and the perfect relationship he experienced with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, he came and suffered and died for you so that you could be healed and you could be given new life. That kindness of God should move us away from the type of shame that I think so many of us struggle with because of who we think we are, because of our sin. And it should move us instead to turn from what we're currently trusting in and turn to trust in Jesus. Verse 9, Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle or will not stay near you. Right, a, a mule needs constant reminder of what is the path that is going to lead to this wholeness. And so too, do we need to constantly be reminded and have pressed into us of just how much we have been forgiven and how loved we are by Jesus at such a great cost to himself. I know a lot of us may be carrying around a lot of guilt and a lot of shame because it really is so hard to not only believe, but then to walk in what David is just 100% sure of in this psalm, that as soon as we confess our sins to the Lord, we turn to him in faith, we're forgiven, period. Verse five really does seem too good to be true. I acknowledge my sin to you, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That is the best news there is, amen? Amen, amen, they said. That is the only way to have that happy and fulfilled whole life that you were looking for. And this salvation and the joy that comes when we experience that level of forgiveness is only possible because the heavy hand, that judgment that our sin deserves, it came down on Jesus so that we could instead receive the light burden of Jesus, which is forgiveness. How can sinful David stand before a sinless God knowing that he comes as a murderer with blood on his hands and yet just so boldly have that assurance in verse 7 that God, you're still a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. And the answer is because on the cross Jesus was absolutely anything but hidden. He was absolutely anything but covered and protected and preserved. Rather, he was stripped of his coverings, completely exposed. And 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that God made Jesus, who was sinless, to be sin for us. So every bit of your sin and my sin was laid on Jesus, completely exposed on the cross. Again, I took blood to make that perfect covering for us so that Jesus could be our hiding place. And if you were unsure about why you maybe have a nagging sense of guilt, or if you're unsure about what your sin really deserves, or if you really do have anything that you need forgiveness for, just look at the cross and look at how costly it was for Jesus to be able to offer us that kind of forgiveness and that kind of covering. Now, this model of repentance, 
It's also the application uh, for your relationship to God. Right, first, we have to see our sin. So ask the Holy Spirit to give you eyes to take an honest look at your sin. If you're like me, I don't like doing this. I don't like dwelling on, where am I just not aware of my sin? But ask, ask the Holy Spirit, ask others in your life that are close to you to show you where you may not even be aware of sin. I promise you, if you have friends and family that are living close to you and you ask them for a little insight, hey, how do I wound you? Or am I kind of coming up short? Or am I angry? I'm, they're probably going to have like one or two things, max, maybe, to tell you, right? Um, so the next step is confession. And uh, the key here is confessing specifically. Like, yes, if you've put your faith in Jesus, you've repented of your sins, he has forgiven you completely. But as you take the time to, again, invite the Holy Spirit uh, to expose what is really in your heart. Uh, as you confess specific sins, pray that he would show you Hey, what is the heart issue going on behind this sin? Because your job, your kids, your boss, like they, they don't make you sin. They just help bring out what is already in your heart. The unkind words you speak about your boss, the anger you experience in traffic is really only an overflowing of a heart that is resentful or a heart that is sure that it's better than all the other hearts on the road, right? Our third, Allow some space for godly sorrow. Again, not like self-loathing. But take time to mourn the fact that sin damages not only you, but it damages others. And then immediately preach the gospel to yourself. That your God sees all that wounding. He's very well aware of all your sin, all the brokenness, and he absolutely cannot wait to forgive you of every bit of it. It's literally what he gave his life for, because you are his daughter, right? you are his son, and he will never get tired of being able to forgive you and restore fellowship with you. So use that godly sorrow to remember again that yes, you are incredibly needy. You never graduate from needing to move away from that spring to be renewed and refreshed, but even more than that, like you are so infinitely loved far beyond your need. And God has made a way through the life, death, and resurrection and reign of Jesus Christ to provide every single need that you have. Lastly, we turn from our sin, we turn to Jesus. That is the definition of faith and repentance, which is just that engine for our renewal in Jesus. Psalm 32 is the assurance that if we do confess our sin and turn to Jesus in faith, he will forgive us instantly. So don't impose upon yourself a sort of waiting period of living in shame before you go to Jesus and ask him for his forgiveness. He's eager to receive you. He is waiting to be your hiding place. So very briefly, what is the application for our personal relationships? So if you have received uh, this good news of how Jesus really did take the punishment for your sins, that he is a hiding place for you, regardless of what anyone else says about you, God has adopted you, he has placed his affection on you, removed your sins, he calls you his bride. If this is what is renewing you, if this is what your identity is, if you're experiencing that kind of love and forgiveness, that is the only way that you will be blessed to the point where you can then forgive others. I was telling a few friends uh, the other week about how about a decade ago, I dealt with bitterness for a few years towards one person. And it really was not until I took an honest look at my own sin and realized that the resentment that I was holding on to uh, was really because I thought the other person was a bigger sinner than me. I thought he really needed to be forgiven, and I just kind of needed to be proved right. Uh, 
But as the Holy Spirit began to work this good news deeper into my heart, what I really did come to see was that I think my need is greater than my offender. Pride, judgment, anger, some of those things that I saw in this person that made me so angry, that I was so upset about, I realized those are the exact same things that I struggle with. And that's why I hated it so much. Because he who has been forgiven little loves little. I needed to be shown just how much I had been forgiven, uh, just how great and deep my own need was before I could even think about moving towards someone who had wounded me so deeply. So if you're still struggling with bitterness, have you received what Jesus died to give you? Have you tapped into that happiness that is offered, that whole life that only comes from the protection, the forgiveness, and the deliverance that you have received in the gospel? If you're struggling to forgive, hear again what is objectively true of you if your faith is in Jesus. And that is that steadfast love surrounds you. Steadfast love that already knows the depths of your sin. Steadfast love that doesn't want you to hide that anymore. Steadfast love that died to cover your sin. Steadfast love that actually sings over you with shouts of deliverance. So be glad in the Lord and rejoice because he has made you righteous. And it took blood. It took Jesus being completely exposed so that you could in turn be completely covered. So shout for joy because it is finished. Happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we do. We thank you again. We praise you. That forgiveness that is so hard sometimes to experience, to believe, to walk in. Jesus, you said it is done. I pray that you would enable us through the power of your spirit to believe that for the first time or the millionth time again tonight, to be renewed by the truest, best news there is, that Jesus Christ came and gave his life to cover us, to adopt us, to bring us back in to your family. Help us to believe that again tonight. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.